bring in Patrick Mooney, covers the Cubs for The Athletic, and you can probably see him on other shows and all over the place. Uh, he does a great job doing it. Patrick, great to see you. You got the whole crew here today. Um, let's get right into Craig Breslow, because first off, is it a done-done deal? And what's he like? I mean, what did you think when the Red Sox opened up their interviews about his chances of actually getting this job? Uh, yes, a done deal. And I think his chance has certainly improved. Uh, one, as certain executives either withdrew or did not pursue uh, the opportunity. Um, it certainly helps when you have Theo Epstein in your corner. Uh, he's been, as you guys know, kind of a, a kingmaker in the baseball industry. And Craig Breslow, once his playing career ended, had options and he chose the Cubs in part to work for Theo. He did not choose to work for the Yankees uh, or the Red Sox. And I think that while Breslow's definitely, you know, more behind the scenes guy with the Cubs, I mean, he was heavily involved in almost every aspect of the operation. So I understand while you know, people in Boston may be like, didn't this guy just pitch for us a couple of years ago? Like, how is he in this position? Like, he's got this unicorn resume and he has relationships with ownership. He has a relationship with Sam Kennedy, knows Alex Cora. He knows a lot of those longtime people who are still uh, lurking at Fenway Park. And I think all that added up and created a huge sense of momentum for him. Is this really a job that he wanted? Because... Craig and I played together, and this is a guy that could do anything because of his unicorn resume that you said. Like, there's a lot of people that turn this job down and not, like, small-name people. Like, it's okay to take a job, but just don't take any job. And this feels like maybe it's any job, or is this really where, where he wanted to go? No, you're right, Eric. This is it. I mean, the Cubs hired him you know, several years ago knowing he would be choosy. They... Uh, accommodated his desire to continue living in suburban Boston, uh, which meant a lot of flights and Zooms and things like that. But So he was going to leave for just any job. And part of that was he wasn't going to leave to go be the GM there or number two. Like he, in his mind, he's already been doing that for years. So I, I think that gave him a little bit of leverage too, where – you know, he interviewed for the number one job, and I'd imagine, you know, you can't pitch that long in the big leagues without being insanely competitive. You don't get a degree from Yale without being uh, an extremely, uh, you know, high achiever type. Like, he obviously wanted to win in this one, and I think this was one of those few rare opportunities, and, you know, we'll see what he does with it. Well, I played with Breslow with the Red Sox. So, listen, I what do you got? What I concur got with him? everything that they just talked about. I mean, this is one of my favorite teammates I ever played with. I was there. He did a bunch of charity stuff in the Boston area. He's obviously from the Northeast. You know, Ivy League, as he let us know all the time. He's Mr. Ivy League. You know, even in the no, picture, he's got he the sweater with the with the Stop with it. the collared shirt and the you know the <laughs> backpack only on one shoulder. You know, he looks. He's just Mr. Northeast, and it's. I think it's a great fit for the Red Sox. And I also think he's going to love it. Like you said, he's he lives in the area. He loves that area. He, I think he grew up a Red Sox fan from what he was saying. I mean, he was a great pitcher. He's done everything in the front office that you could possibly do. 
I think this is a home run hire for the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, AJ, you know that the Cubs organization and the Chicago media would never. Sucks. Wait, what? Wait, so what? I'm sorry. I didn't hear you, you. you know the Cubs organization <laughs> and the Chicago media would never overhype prospects. But I, think, <laughs> I do think AJ uh, that uh, Breslow has done a lot in that area for the Cubs that makes it an even easier sell. I think with all of these hires, you never know unless you're hiring Andrew Friedman from the Dodgers, hiring Theodore on the Cubs. Maybe David Stearns in New York is that home run hire. But I just think in general, there's a lot of unknowns with any of these guys. I mean, you can look at any sport, whether it's, you know, can a defensive coordinator become a head coach, stuff like that. But I mean, what Breslow did was significant in terms of like management and getting just an enormous amount of exposure across baseball operations. You know, he's meeting with Jamison Tyone in New York last offseason when the Cubs are making uh, a presentation. He's, you know, one of those first or last calls with Jed Hoyer. He's in the room with David Ross when they're discussing, you know, bullpen decisions for that night. Like, he obviously is a quick learner, has a ton of aptitude. um, But there is a lot of, like, real-world kind of pragmatic experience here that he's going to bring into that job, even if he hasn't run the entire show before. Okay, so I got two for you on him moving from Chicago to Boston. One is more simple. I mean, it's been talked about a lot and just wanted to get any examples from you on how he has changed the pitching development and pitching program and pitching strategy with the Cubs because I think many Red Sox fans and the owner on down with the Sox are like, yo, we need better pitching and they don't want to necessarily just spend on it in the free agent market. I still think they have like a little bit of buyer's remorse that's affecting how they spend on pitchers based on the Chris Sale contract. So I wanted to get your take on what he can bring to the table there, but then also your take on what he's about to go up against. An ownership group that will blame the head of a front office before basically anything else. They have been just churning through dudes, including Dombrowski, who won a World Series for them. And five minutes later, they were like, see ya. And also the power dynamics, I've read a lot about this and some of it's coming from you, obviously, is like how, the and the, the athletic, how the Red Sox have multiple people with says, it sounds like there's a ton of corporate politics going on within the org. Um, the manager in Alex Cora wants to be leading our front office someday. So he's got more say than most managers do nowadays. It sounds like a reality show over there. Well, yeah, I mean, Rezo knows like if you don't win the world series you get fired and if you win the world series you get fired so (laughs) i think that maybe he's coming in at a good time that you know someone who worked with breslow you know explained to me today of like he can be a really strong voice of reason and bring some stability like maybe you are coming in at a good time where what bloom did will help you uh kind of implement your vision, maybe after those years of, you know, CBT management and belt tightening, like you kind of let it loose. And I think you probably would add someone, and this is why Breslow was never going to make sense to the GM job. Like you hire someone who can fill in those administrative gaps. I mean, I think we all know a lot of these contract offers are just whatever your computer system says 
anyways. So you hope he comes in, can help with your pitching, um, can talk to ownership uh, at a real level who will know all of those politics that I think you accurately describe and, you know, understands the media market in a very real way. And I think all of those things, you know, doesn't mean it works, but that I have a harder time seeing that he's going to be like totally overwhelmed at this point. Okay. So I want to shift to the Cubs here real fast. Cause I know you talk about him. You wrote this nice article about how they showed an offensive identity. Um, off-season talk, Do they, should they go for a bat first or should they go for pitching? Like what, what is the first priority they need to do? And then I'll ask my next question after you answer that. Well, I think you see Cody Bellinger right there. I think that is, you know, a if it's not the number one priority, it's priority, it's number 1A. And I think a lot of that will depend on uh, you know, whether Scott Boris can work his magic uh, on an owner. Uh, that won't happen in Chicago. That's not how Tom Ricketts runs his team. Uh, but absent that, you know, I expect the, the Cubs to make a really strong push for Bellinger. And, you know, this even kind of goes back to Brezel. Like for as much progress as the Cubs have made since the 2021 trade deadline, like they absolutely collapsed in September. And part of that was their pitching and young talent did not quite step up. And so I think on the pitching side, I would anticipate the Cubs picking up Kyle Hendricks, $16.5 million option. I would expect Marcus Stroman to opt in for $21 million. And when you already have Justin Steele and Jamison Tyone and a lot of interesting young pitchers on the way, Given the price of pitching on the free agent market, I don't know if the Cubs are going to go all out there. They'll certainly be opportunistic. They can make trades. They'll explore those avenues. But I think you got to get, you know, Bellinger plus, whether it's Bellinger and someone else or trading for an equivalent hitter with that type of profile. Um, I mean, the Cubs need a lot just to get back to their baseline of whatever it was 83 wins, and that clearly wasn't enough. Let me. And my next question was going to be about Marcus Stroman. He's got a twenty-one million dollar player option, which is really nice to have. I mean, those player options that you got to feel good whether you do good or bad at the end of the year. I know you want to do good, but can you see him exploring for maybe like a three-year, thirty-five to fifty range with some other team? But do you see him coming back? Do you see him taking that chance? Well, I guess a lot can change, right? Because in June, Marcus was on. I guess it was still called Twitter back then, but he was tweeting or Xing about a contract extension and he wanted to force that issue. And then uh, he had a blister issue, he had a hip issue, had a rib issue. And, you know, me personally, I think it's hard to see him opting out. Uh, you know, this is someone who you know, had a, Great last season with the Mets and was, I think, maybe 30 years old at that time and took a three-year deal. Like, I don't know if years later, coming off a really poor second half would get that. Maybe he maybe he does. Maybe he wants to find that out. I would – I just think, like, there's a real um, chance for success if he comes back with the Cubs. Like, he 
Really likes the coaching staff. He <clears throat> loves pitching at Wrigley Field. Uh, I think they have an under understanding and like kind of they let him do his thing. And he has a good relationship with the fans in Chicago and, and playing at Wrigley and all that. So I think if he does come back, I think you know the Cubs would get a really strong year uh, out of him and that he would put himself in a really good position to get that deal that you're talking about, Todd. Who makes Thanks. it to the playoffs first? Red Sox or Cubs? Uh, I would say the Cubs just because they're in a far easier division. Like, I, I don't know if that's like a, you know, huge vote of confidence uh, in the Cubs. But I don't know, especially if, I don't know, if Council leaves, uh, Stearns is already out the door. Uh, the Brewers pitching uh, window seems to be narrowing. Like, I guess I would say the Cubs, since they were closer this year and should have an easier path to be, what, like the sixth best team in the National League next year? <laughs> that seems like a goal. <laughs> yeah. What? So, Patrick, so I, I want to take you now to um, the prospect world with Chicago. Um, we are going to talk to – help me out here if I say it wrong. Triumph. I haven't spoken to him yet. James Triantos? Okay, Correct. cool. So uh, Arizona Fall League player, we, we talked to a couple of them per week, and uh, James is going to join us. So tell us where he's ranked and how he looks within the system. I mean, I'm at least looking at like where MLB has him. It looks like they have him at nine, although Jordan Wicks is right next to him. He's looked pretty good aside from that last start. So thoughts on him and then also the story out there, you know, obviously – that you guys put together at The Athletic about Kyle Schwarber's connection with him? Yeah, I think, Scott, you probably would go back to his draft class, which he reclassified, essentially graduated from high school in three years. Uh, he was like a, a two-way guy with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Obviously, he's a, a position player now and, and bouncing around, but I think that when the Cubs drafted him, bought him out of his commitment to North Carolina – their thinking was, or their like best case scenario was, this is what the best college hitters in the draft look like in high school. So that if they didn't take Triantos at that point and sign him, they thought he would be, you know, much closer towards the top of the first round rather than, I think they got him in maybe the middle of the, the second round. Um, so he's super young, super athletic. Um, and kind of the interesting story in terms of Schwarber is, uh, Trantis's dad, uh, helped, has an engineering background. He helped, uh, develop this, I think it was a, a system for like air traffic controllers, like kind of a, a data tech space. Uh, so he was very fortunate in that regard and wanted to kind of give back to his community. They live in... Uh, suburban D.C., which is, you know, obviously a very expensive place, hard to get uh, space for kids to play. And so they built this, like, awesome, like, batting cage uh, to the point where major league hitters would drop in sometimes. And they uh, developed a relationship with Kevin Long when he was the Nationals hitting coach. And, you know, kind of from there, you know, they meet Schwarber. And Schwarber, as you guys know, is such a great dude that – uh, even though the Cubs, you know, just released them uh, because their budgets were cut 
during COVID, uh, kind of struck up a friendship with this guy. And I think it started before he was even drafted, but, uh, you know, they would text and, you know, Schwarber would send feedback. And the way Schwarber explained it to me was like, he's like, hey, man, if you ever want to come hit, and he just kind of said it, and Triantos immediately was like, okay, when can I come? And they were like throwing out <laughs> dates, and Schwarber's like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so he went out to uh, Middletown, Ohio there, and uh, I believe it was last off season. Obviously, he'll give you the full story, but that's kind of the broad outlines when he co- comes on. It's kind of an interesting, I mean, you guys know about kind of paying it forward and things like that, and you're really why Kyle Schwarber you know, is so beloved in clubhouses is because he, he just gets it. Do you think the Cubs are missing that or they have that? Uh, there was a period there where they were missing it. I think there was a period there where the end of the era uh, from you guys had Joe Madden on from the way his tenure ended to all of those looming uh, contract situations uh, to Theo's eventual exit, like all of that, I think, weighed on it. It went far beyond the World Series hangover to – just a ton of uncertainty and you know, they basically took 2022 to reset, figure out what they have. You know, they discovered that Justin Steele is pretty good. Uh, and I think, you know, last off season, they made that a point. I think they realized they kind of, part of it was a lockout. Uh, they had to kind of slap a roster together in a very short amount of time. And I, I think, there were certain human elements or like a cohesiveness to the roster that was missing. And I think Dansby Swanson was huge in that regard. Uh, Tyone was huge in that regard. Um, Nico Horner, Ian Happ kind of maturing uh, into their roles, like all that added up to Jan Gomes. Uh, you know, a team that was buried 10 games under in June, uh, you know, clawed their way out of that avoided the south of the trade deadline and you know ultimately they fell short by a game in the end but i think there's a lot there uh to build upon for next year and beyond yeah i was not a believer but i'm glad they did it i mean they gave their fans an extra couple months to root for Mm -hmm. so you know it's not like it cost them a ton they didn't have to sacrifice a ton in prospects so patrick appreciate the time dude always love you know checking out your real talk coverage in the athletic so I'd love to have you back sometime, man. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Patrick Mooney. You can uh, read his work in The Athletic. We'll post his Twitter handle on uh, FT Twitter so you can check him out and follow him for Cubs offseason coverage.